Brown Genius is a podcast in full color spectrum dedicated to providing a platform for underrepresented voices. Brown Genius is hosted by Molina Speaks and Cherie Love Mestiza Brown, produced by Rodney Sino Cruz. This Chicano Picasso production is brought to you with generous support from the Arts Affinity Group. Thank you for listening. All right, familia, here we are, back again, coming forward into the present. This is Molina Speaks. And I am Cherie Love Mistisa Brown. And we are here at Colorado College, uh, broadcasting from the Mestiza Futures Symposium. It is September 2018, for everybody who's trying to orient yourselves in the Gregorian calendar, uh, wherever you find yourself in time-space. We are here for another fantastic experience uh, with Brown Genius, and we're going to go ahead and let our guests introduce themselves. I'm uh, Santiago Guerra, uh, Assistant Professor of Southwest Studies here at Colorado College. And I'm Karen Roybal. I'm also an Assistant Professor of Southwest Studies at Colorado College. Nice. So... We've been talking about this uh, symposium for about six months, and uh, we have arrived. Uh, We have three full days of programming here at Colorado College, uh, celebrating mestizaje, exploring race, cultura, language, creativity, medicina, and really just uh, working with the student body to um, better understand their own experiences, their own cultures. So... Being here with uh, these distinguished professors in the College of the Southwest, uh, we want to start off by asking you, what is the College of the Southwest? And what should we know about you and your work? So as Southwest Studies, I, I think, Santi, we can probably provide a little bit more um, history in terms of the, the background of the Hulbert Center, which is the research component of our uh, center. But Southwest Studies in general, we try to provide a pretty holistic um, view and understanding of um, the Southwest as a critically significant regional space. And so we offer a very interdisciplinary framework in our courses um, in terms of, you know, the faculty that's here. You know, Santiago can tell you about his training, but he is an anthropologist by trade, although I don't know. Uh, and and then um, I approach things from, and, and cultural studies, and then I approach things from more of a humanistic perspective, so literary, cultural studies, history also. Um, and then our other um, faculty member is Eric Permont, and um, he is a geographer. So we approach um, the study of the Southwest from those different disciplines, but also from a very interdisciplinary perspective so that students sort of get their feet wet in all the ways to think about the Southwest from each of those unique perspectives. Yeah, so um, so here at Colorado College, uh, located in Colorado Springs, we are, you know, in, in a place situated in the U.S. Southwest, right? And so this is actually the first program uh, dedicated to this type of study in the U.S. Uh, it's founded, it starts to, to really generate and, and gets to be solidified in its establishment in uh, 1981. And it's the first time that we have this sort of type of institution. Um, 
It starts off really just with people from different areas, historians, uh, political scientists, English professors that were just interested in this place that you know they were calling home. And since then, we've tried to push you know our understanding of what Southwest Studies is and what it can be. And so we do try to tackle everything when it comes to the uh, environmental situation in the Southwest to the people and cultures that make up uh, this region. I'm trained in anthropology and uh, Chicano studies, uh, primarily history, but I'm more of a, a policy person, uh, really interested in how laws and uh, policies impact our daily lives in the Southwest. So I think a lot about border policy and immigration policy and drug policy specifically, and how they impact uh, the populations in the Southwest. That's awesome because I'm constantly like talking about how um, not enough of us are in the policy realm, you know, like uh, so many of the folks that I know in community, you know, we we tend to gravitate towards the arts or organizing or other aspects that like have to deal more with the interpersonal and with the community. And like we want to be in community and uh, we don't necessarily want to be engaged in all of the political levels. And um, we are there. There's definitely um, an area where we lack people who are really engaged with the policy side of things and. So I always like hearing when somebody's into policy, I'm like, yay, good. <laughs> we need you. We need you to keep talking about it and breaking it down for us. And for those of us who don't read enough of the, uh, the documents or don't have a handle on some of the jargon, the legal jargon of being able to like, what is this actually saying? What does this actually mean? And, and being those liaisons between um, that, that kind of world and that kind of language and what that means for the impact of community. Yeah, I think there's a lot more of us than, than people know. I mean, I have friend, like friends in um, that I, you know, I came of age with in undergrad and grad school that are now lead counsel for uh, Mexican American Legal Defense and Education Fund that are uh, staffers uh, for uh, state uh, reps, um, state senators, uh, and so it's. You know, it's a way to think about bridging community and those laws that affect us. So um, thinking not just about what we can do culturally for our community, but also how we can use um, the master's tools, mm-hmm. right, to improve life for uh, ourselves and for our communities. Mm-hmm. That's something we're talking about uh, this week with uh, the students here at Colorado College, just that experience of being a bridge between what happens in uh, academia, you know, what happens in um, the halls of power and uh, then, you know, the communities that we come from, which really aren't necessarily about that, right? It's a different form of knowledge. It's, it's a different type of experience back home, you know, in the barrio, in the neighborhood, just with the cultura, with the with the people. And um, sometimes it's, it's very difficult to be that bridge and confusing. You know, we've talked about... Um, the Latinx identity, for example, you know, or, or being Chicanx, right? And the X symbolizing the unknown, the X symbolizing gender neutrality. And, you know, then for some of the uh, students who identify that way, you know, taking that back home and, you know, the homies being like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what does that even mean? Or, you know, associating that with, um, you know, white culture or with privilege, right? With some of these uh, movements around gender that, you know, maybe some folks 
who aren't in these academic institu- institutions or who aren't creative people, like they don't really relate to that or understand what it is. And, you know, how, how do you process that and explain it? How do you be relevant in multiple places? All these sorts of questions around gender, race, identity. So what does it mean for you all as, as faculty to host the Mestiza Futures Symposium? And um, what are you hoping that your, your students take from this experience? Well, I think, you know, you hit on a number of the key points, right? So in our classes, in our program, we really focus on issues like identity politics. And it's very common for students to want to talk about those politics in class, right? Um, And then, you know, when we mentor students, right, even outside of the classroom, either through their thesis projects and their research projects, or kind of figuring out what, what they're gonna do next, right? What do you do when you leave Colorado College, right? What do you do with a Southwest Studies degree, for instance? I think we're always trying to help them envision, like how do you be the bridge? How do you how are you with that puente, right? That's gonna get you to the next point to go back to your community, right? And I've had students, um, you know, sort of struggle with the negotiations that they have to make, like how do I work within a colonial system to decolonize it, right? Mm -hmm. And we talk about that, and one example I can think of off the top of my head is a a student who um, very much wants to go to medical school but is really struggling with like embracing, wanting to do that, but also um, embracing her, her roots, like returning to her grandmother's medicine, right? So how do you negotiate curanderismo with Western medicine? Um, So I think that this symposium offers the opportunity for students and for us to explore, right, those those topics that we've already been talking about in class, but that call attention to them very directly, right, and give them like a very public space to do that, right, of of topics that we hold very near and dear to our hearts, and it's sometimes hard to vocalize them, right, in those spaces. So I feel like this symposium is one way in which they have the opportunity to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing also to keep in mind is that uh, Colorado College, whether people know, know it or not, has been this site of uh, these discussions since at least the 1970s. Right? One of the first uh, National Chicano Studies Conferences uh, was held here at Colorado College at a time when we had really important figures in Chicano Studies here. Uh, and we've had several of those you know, figureheads, leaders come through this institution um, at different times. Uh, and I think right now, especially, we're at a place where we're, we're getting a lot more traction. And in some ways, we're coming back to being able to to have these discussions that have been ongoing, like, come to the forefront in this type of engaged way. I think one of the other things we try to do here in Southwest Studies is we try to take our students out into the field to meet these communities uh, and to meet our communities. So I, I teach a border course where we take students down to like where I grew up and I have to push them to think of the individuals that they're interacting with, uh, whether they're you know ex-felons that were involved in the drug trade, whether they're grandmas, uh, whether they're you know attorneys, whoever they are, that they have a knowledge base that they can learn from about these border issues that often just get you know a couple minutes of airplay on the news and so people think they might know something but they're not talking to knowledge holders because they don't think of these individuals as such. And I think we try to do that through uh, our various engagements in our classes. You know, Karen does 
uh, similar work in northern New Mexico with uh, her communities. And so we're really trying to push this idea of how to, and show students how you can think about communities, our communities as knowledge uh, holders, right? Yeah, I love that. That's definitely um, something that I find myself trying to prioritize more and more is um, uh, honoring what we would consider everyday people as experts in something, you know, uh, based off of what they have lived through and years of experience doing and um, and calling on them when we need that expertise or um, honoring each piece of the story that they bring with them. Uh, that's, that's something that I have found really uh, huge in um, organizing work and activating each person uh, on the, you know, on the team, on these resident teams of making sure that everyone is honoring what they bring with them and, and all of the knowledge base that they hold and, and providing space for them to bring that to the table. So I, I think any time where we can prompt young people to consider everyday folks as experts and worthy of contribution to their work and their understandings, it's, that's a really beautiful and powerful thing to, to initiate. Yeah. So we're going to time travel a little bit and step away from Colorado College and back into the Southwest lands where you all grew up. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and when was it as a kid that you realized you were part of something special, you know, as, as a Chicano or a Mexican-American or, you know, a Latino, a Mestizo, Mestiza. When did you realize that there was something unique and powerful about what you had going on around you? So I'm from a small town on the South Texas border called uh, Garciasville. It's like right on the Durande River, so right at this international boundary. You know, and I think growing up, my mom is... Um, you know, fairly dark skinned and I'm kind of uh, not as much. Um, <laughs> so I, re- I remember just being young and thinking, like really having to, to face uh, these ideas about like what it meant to be Chicano, what it meant to be Mexican around these issues of color because there's, you know, just like a, you know, an artist palette of like pigment in this family that I grew up in. And then you add the context of like this binational existence, this bicultural existence where we were moving back and forth between Mexico and the U.S. as, um, you know, as U.S. citizens that had the privilege to do so, but also seeing, you know, what Mexicanness and what identity looked like for people just as you moved, you know, a mile, right? And how, um, how politics could really change people's interactions to one another, like, you know, folks that have been, you know, cousins for hundreds and hundreds of years that all of a sudden don't even see themselves as relatives because of this sort of imposition, right? And we shared these last names and yet we didn't see ourselves as related because of what living on the border really sort of signified. But I remember as a kid, and I didn't realize being spe- being special until adulthood, uh, but my mom's family was heavily involved in the in the farm worker movement. My mom grew up as a migrant farm worker. My grandparents were migrant farm workers, and um, 
And my grandmother's uh, sister and brother were actually uh, union leaders and started in Texas the strikes that would lead to the Texas Farm Workers Union. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing these stories as a kid and thinking like, oh man, every Chicano must have this story about um, a relative that like, you know, was doing all this social work for the betterment of our community. And, you know, being dumb and young, not realizing what, what all that actually took. Not until grad school already in like my mid-20s going and picking up this book as I was doing my research and finding pictures of my grandmother's brother, my grandmother's mm. sister, wow. uh, my aunts in these archives of the Texas farm worker movement and oh, thinking, wow. oh, wow, they, were, they weren't just like, <laughs> you know, overstating what they did. Like, mm-hmm. this is an important part of our, of our family history. Uh, and so to think that you, you know, you come from a group of people that uh, were involved in a struggle like that uh, was eye-opening not until adulthood, right? So I think for me, I, I just thought everybody was Mexican forever until I was in a place where everybody wasn't. Mexican or Chicano. So it came very late in life, I think, realizing that. Hmm. And what about you, Ken? So I grew up in a, in a really small town um, just sort of northeast of Santa Fe called Pecos, New Mexico. And it's a very, it still is a small community, very close-knit. It's the, the kind of town where everybody knows everybody, everybody knows your business kind of thing. So, <laughs> you know, as a kid, you just want to get out of there until you realize that you don't want to get out of there, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I, I was telling y'all earlier at lunch, right, that my uh, dad's family all lives along the same Camino. It's Camino Roy Ball, right? We're all there. So there's always that sense of close-knitness. And I don't think that I... I same to, you know, similar to Santiago, I didn't come to a form of consciousness, I think, until later in life, you know, in, in my adult years. But... Pecos is an interesting place because we're sort of like on the fringes of Santa Fe, which is like a mecca for art and tourism. And, you know, growing up, I was exposed to it only because my parents worked in Santa Fe and and my mom was right downtown where all of this was happening, right? All of this cultural mixing. You'd walk around the plaza in Santa Fe and see, you know, lots of tourists. But where where is your community, right? And so it was interesting as a kid to see that, like we noticed it. We kind of talked about it a little bit, you know, but it's not until, you know, you go to a college classroom, right? And you're able to interrogate these these ideas a little bit deeper, right? Like, why is it that I'm seeing what I'm seeing, right? How do I, do I have the language to talk about it and think about it, right? So I think that the, the real consciousness didn't come until, you know, college um, to realize that. And still today, like many of the people from my community, like they don't leave home, you know? And so when you do leave home, you're still a part of the community, right? They're always welcoming, welcoming you back. Like, they're so proud of what you've done, you know, and always want you to come back and share your story, right? And um, so that's something that I've seen over time. And, and uh, for me, it's, you know, the experiences of, like, growing up next to my cousins, right? One of my cousins, um, same age as me, is a farmer. And so we often have these very great conversations about like how do we you know 
how do we work together to address these same issues that we're thinking about, right? Like he doesn't have a formal education, but he's the, the one of the smartest people I know, right? Who educates me every time I have a conversation with him. And so one of the things that always like sticks in my mind is when we had um, this type of conversation, he told me, you know, Karen, we can't all be the farmers, right? Who work the land. Like we need people like you to go out into academia and write about these issues, right? Like I can't write like that. So it's it's thinking about, you know, that community, right? That sense of collaboration and, and how do we sort of address these, these topics from multiple angles, right? Or these issues. So for me, it's like that sense of community, knowing that I can always go home, you know, is something that, that's really important to me. And to also be able to pass that on to my daughter, um, you know, as the next generation, it is just, it's it's impactful, right? I, I make it a point, even though it's difficult sometimes to take her with me when I do research, because even though she's only four, I know she's listening, you know, to what's going on in those conversations. So um, it's, I guess that's sort of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And kind of like speaking to that, like, what would you say or suggest to others or just through your experience of engaging community as well as engaging your academic peers, you know, um, how can we better bridge those gaps between departments, between um, academia and community? Like, how could you envision you know, certain conversations, finding bridges between college campuses and your literal hometowns. Like, like how, how, do you, how do you find that those bridges are made or what would you like to see more of in relation to that? I think, you know, one of the things that your conversation about policy made me think about, right, mm-hmm. is that you know, so Colorado College has a, a reputation of like producing individuals, right? Students, learners who who go on to do these wonderful things, right? Who who get the positions as policymakers, right? So if we can impact them at this stage in life, right, by taking them out to our communities, right? To many of them um, don't have the the so there's something about teaching at a primarily white institution and thinking about privilege, but they don't have the privilege of being from those small rural communities to see what's going on, right, from like a grassroots level, for instance. And so I think, you know, part of why we do the field work is to expose them to that, right? But it's also very personal because we're taking them to our home communities, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and one of the things I tell my students is that we really need to be respectful of those relationships. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the that somebody is sharing their story or their knowledge with us, I mean, that that's significant, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but so what are you going to do with that, right? So I think um, in part for me, it's like part of bridging that relationship comes from helping the students to develop, right? The, the abilities to go out into these communities, right? Not just as spectators, you know, but to listen, like you were saying, Shuri, this mm-hmm. morning, right? to listen to what's going on before you go in and speak mm-hmm. to or about or for, right? So that's that's part of it, right, is teaching the students that. But just, I mean, I think the fact that, that we're able to do the work we do, like go out into the field at a small liberal arts college, right, mm-hmm. I think is, that's pretty significant for the kind of work that we want to see happen. I think we have that capability because of where we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I think even like, 
we've had students come through this program that like like one example like a recent example we had a, a student that really got into you know she's a upper middle class like white student she got really interested in indigenous sort of issues and in border issues and in the southwest right and and she took that passion that she developed and that sensibility of like being respectful uh, to start working with indigenous communities in British Columbia and start working on these sort of like youth climate delegations to the UN to start to really mobilize people across race and class divisions to try to fight for, you know, the world that they want to see in their future, right? And I think that's something that that we've been trying to push here in particular is like, you know, how do you make, you know, it's one thing to take a student with a background like ours and teach them the information that we had wanted to be taught as young people to feel empowered about who we are, uh, to not feel denigrated about, you know, being where we're from. You know, it's one thing to do that. It's like another thing to take the students that have no knowledge of our population, that have no knowledge of where we're from and make them want to use their social capital, right, towards our cause, Mm. right? Because, you know, I've been in rooms where people, you know, I have a PhD and like sometimes just because I'm Mexican, people will discount me in like policy settings and think that I'm less capable than they are. And sometimes it does take a type of ally like that to, you know, get your voice to be heard, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's some, you know, strategy to to working across these divisions and to to d- be able to do it through, like, uh, our student body, right? Mm-hmm. I like how both of your responses were student-centric. Like, it was focused on mm-hmm. the students that you're engaged with as your strategies. And I love also how you are demonstrating to them how to engage in collaborative relationships as opposed to exploitive relationships. And I think that's a very uh, key distinction because um, engaging in uh, the way that capitalism is set up, we are uh, designed... Um, in these systems to uh, exploit people and extract extract labor, extract ideas, extract stories, and those all of those things often get exploited, uh, especially when we're like thinking about the political level and policy level. So um, I, I like that you both are demonstrating collaborative relationships so that it's forever like imprinted, hopefully forever <laughs> imprinted as to what that can look like and feel like most importantly. So that's, that's really beautiful. Earlier, we were speaking in class with you all about um, the relationship between time and cultura, the relationship between cultura and medicine and exploring um, the relevance or sometimes irrelevance of time. Uh, and here we are back in time and we are running short on time because there's a million things going on. We got kids to pick up, places to be, classes to teach. Root the film is screening tonight. We're in this Mestiza Future Symposium. We brought some of our friends, Los Mocochetes, Utimia Cruz Montoya, uh, the rapper and activist Il7. So we brought some of our Brown Genius alum with us to do this thing. So we're limited on time to close this out. Let's do a quick lightning round of questions and just give us like the quick, dirty, honest, powerful answer to these questions. It's 2018. What is the most important issue in cultural studies? Mm. That's a big one. 
<laughs> I mean, I think right now, more than any, I, more than any time, I think it's family, right? I think if you think about, because that that takes us to a place of talking about all sorts of things, right? If you're talking about family and uh, gender dynamics, family uh, reunification, right? Uh, that we're seeing with. Um, you know, childhood removal at the you know U.S.-Mexico border. We're thinking about uh, family and youth uh, in terms of criminalization, drug addiction, all these things. For me, anyway, that's that's like the the locus of how I like to analyze things, right? Because you know, families where we learn most of our lessons from the beginning. That's mm. what we have to go back to to start. Dr. Roybal, uh, what are three texts that you suggest that any young person who's trying to figure out who they are or you know make sense of their place in the world what are three books you would suggest hmm. i'm going to say one of the one of the ones that that helped me formulate like who i am and and i'm sure many of you you know have read it but borderlands la frontera you know that still resonates with students today right i will say you know i did just taught ceremony so it's fresh on my mind i think that that text or that novel really opens up the space for students to think about multiple issues like you know what is it to be a bicultural subject right what does place mean uh, what's that novel called ceremony dislocation right and i mean that from multiple like physical but also mental right dislocation you know issues with veterans i think it opens up um it's, it's pretty formative right in terms of um what students can get out of that text. And then, let's see, a third one, let me think. Gosh, that's a hard one, I gotta think about that one. Those two for sure that I can think of off the top of my head. Not bless me ultimo. Bless me ultimo, I think, yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought that's what For the Southwest. <laughs> yeah. For the Southwest, yeah. yeah. I mean, it really resonates with students who mm-hmm. aren't from the Southwest, I mean, mm-hmm. that text. Yeah, and Ceremony is written by Leslie Marmon Silco. What is your advice to students of color who are trying to get to graduation at a predominantly white university? Mm. I mean, as some, I can say this as somebody that went to a predominantly white uh, liberal arts college on a scholarship um, that Man, I was there for I was there for my family, and the only thing that kept me in that place was knowing that my family had invested in me and had actually let me leave and put me in the hands of, of you know our ancestors to to make sure I would be fine. Because I think that was um, you know if you come from a migrant farmworking family, you travel together, right? Mm-hmm. And and this was something unique for us to for somebody to just leave by themselves. Mm-hmm. To like the unknown and I can remember a lot of my aunts that were still in like the 1960s and 70s mode they were like you know once you pass this line coming out of the border like they don't like us anymore right and maybe you'll be safer just because of the way you look but you always have to be on you know uh, like they would say like be, be sure to be keeping yourself safe right and mm-hmm. so I think there was a lot of concern about that family was biggest source of strength, I think, to, to keep you motivated to go on, and your ancestors too. And I would say, you know, this is something I told um, 
some of our Somos or the Latinx organization, uh, student organization on campus last year at their graduation was just to remind them, right? Like you belong here, you know, and that mm. there's, you have people here who are supportive, right? That we, we walk the same walk, right? And I mentioned like we, we see each other on the sidewalk, we nod, right? Mm-hmm. Below, right? <laughs> the nod. But that they belong here to remind them of mm. that. That's, yeah, Affir- affirmation, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Final question, and then I'll give La Love Mestiza the last word. What is the Mestiza future? I mean, I'd say uh, Mestiza future is about what we've learned from, you know, Mestiza past, right? Is that it's survival, it's uh, adaptation, it's acceptance and integration of, you know, whatever comes our way, right? Um, I think for our for our people, like, that's what's got us through, you know, 500 years of existing in this place as a mestiza population, right? Yeah, I would say it's, you know, uh, I, w- I would echo what Santiago says and just think about it like it's it's resilience it's resistance it's moving forward right acknowledging our past and embracing it and using that right to move us forward beautiful well thank you too for joining us uh it was you you guys said a lot of really insightful things and we're really grateful and uh yes thank you for being a part of brown genius Two brown geniuses <laughs> right on the campus of Colorado College. <laughs> Thanks for Thank you. having us. Yeah. Thank you. Still like an artist, give to the people. Still like an artist, give to the people. Still like an artist, give to the people. One, two, three. many say, many say. One go food, many drink, many drink. Diversify scope, money straight, money straight. Proper sit below, human big, human big. So fresh, so clean, my mind, limousine, my quasar so my crown, I king, my beam so mean, my gangster lane, I bomb your scene, my people get free. Never lower numbers when there's gold upon the plate, mine. Never give your power to them, claim to hold the gate line. Never stagnant, all evolving, keep them guessing game time. Artists hold the party line. Root the tradition. Set the condition, break the system, forward transmission.